What we do here is go back, 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 back. Welcome, welcome to The Hustle Sold Separately, a weekly podcast dedicated to all of you amazing human beings who tune in every single week. I always say the anti-status quo crew, basically. Uh, you guys constantly carving your own way, doing your own thing, doing it differently than society has instructed you to do so. Uh, and we've just had, a, a, all of you are just a lot like our guests, uh, you know, CEOs and entrepreneurs and innovators and artists and uh, producers and designers. And just, again, you guys are constantly carving your own path. And I really, really appreciate you being here for a lot of my new listeners. It's nice to have you here. We are growing and I appreciate each and every one of you guys. We approach 7 million downloads. It's phenomenal. Uh, as my OGs will tell you, um, this show is different. We're not going to sit here and talk about how amazing and awesome entrepreneurship is and, uh, you know, give the glorified glamorized version. We get into the heart of a lot of different things in all different areas. And we have a variety of guests that come on the show in a variety of disciplines because that's what all of you are. And ultimately, um, there's more than one way to do something, but also what are you becoming in the process? And I say that I can't define success for you. It's not going to happen. Um, uh, that's up to you and your path and whatever you feel right is in your soul. Uh, often at times society tries to dictate a title or a category for what success looks like. We don't do that and I can't do that and nobody should do that for you anyways. So really appreciate each and every one of you guys tuning in. Again, for the new people, I'm Matt Gottesman. You can actually link with me at Matt Gottesman on Instagram. Uh, DM, I answer every DM, reply, response, text, like you name it. I did start getting more active on Twitter again, finally, at Startup Gots until I can actually change the name. <laughs> so I appreciate you guys there. Uh, mattgosman.substack.com thousands are, are um, on that list and I appreciate all of you guys that have been joining on there as well too and uh, we have another incredible guest today uh, I was uh, I was recently introduced over the last several months to his account and instantly I was like I want him to come on the podcast uh, Nick Majuli he's a chief operating officer and data scientist at Ritholtz Ma uh, Wealth Management and um, he we're gonna we're gonna talk a lot today about consistency which you guys know how I feel about that which is why we're consistently having this conversation um, ultimately uh, well he I'll get into his bio here in a second but a couple of quick notes on consistency uh, first of all if you're gonna want to see any kind of result it's gonna come from the compound effect of showing up in that particular thing for a given period of time, and it's probably gonna be longer than you think. However, you won't want it to be a second sooner because that's the beauty of becoming and the beauty of mastery and the beauty of um, being of service and the beauty of actually doing things and really diving into the details versus it being a fleeting thing that happens right away. Yes, sometimes big wins happen right away, but I found that um, life is embraced in the consistency of showing up every single day for whether it's our purpose, our health, our wealth, our finances. And I've been talking very heavily lately on this, whether on the Substack or on IG, on the stories, which is, you know, until you take a very active role in different areas of your life, um, will you be start to become more confident from the consistency of just figuring it out? You don't have to know it. <laughs> That's the whole point. But you do um, gain confidence from the consistency of showing up within the discipline of learning it, 
right? I'm three and a half years into my body and like actually doing nutrition and wellness and cooking and all of these things. Well, those results start to really, you know, kind of compound over time and you start to see that, you know, I've been on a four year journey of wealth management and actually understanding like different asset classes, taxation with my mentor, like, I mean, you name it, you know, diversification, like compound effects, some things I should have done a little bit sooner. That's okay. It doesn't matter. The point is, is that you start to see the compound effect from doing something over and over again. And the rest of you know, I've been doing this stuff online for eight years, writing and like on the bigger account with HDF Magazine, where it all really started before I did the Matt Gossman account. That's all from consistency. So we're going to talk a lot about that today with a focus on Nick. Uh, as I mentioned, he's a chief operating officer and data scientist at Riddles Management, uh, Wealth Management. He oversees operations across the firm and provides insight on business intelligence uh business intelligence he's also the author of, of dollarsanddata.com be sure to go check out that blog really really interesting and we're going to talk about the consistency of him building that uh it's focused on the intersection of data and personal finance notice the keyword personal i would go there immediately and i would be working on that especially during the times that we're heading into i believe we're already there but i think it's going to get worse but maybe he can dispel that i don't know i'd love him to you know give us his his theories um, he's been featured on the Wall Street Journal, CNBC, Los Angeles Times, graduated from Stanford University with a degree in economics and currently resides in New York City. Nick, thanks for being on the show, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, Matt. Appreciate it as well. Yeah. And I also want to be able to um, talk about your book as well, too. So we're going to get to all of these things. And by the way, guys, um, everything will be in the show notes. So I want you to be able to um, follow and support this man, but also get the book. Do yourself a favor. So Nick, um, I mentioned before the podcast, first question is the only one that's ever the same. How do we get here? How did you, you know, you're doing of dollars and data. Um, you got the blog, you do the wealth management. Um, you got the book. What led up to all of this? Like, and you can give as, you know, short or long of a story as it, but it definitely gives the context of like why these, you know, things are, are really important to you. And then also the consistency of just showing up to do it every day. Yeah. So when I was five years old, no, I'm just kidding. We're going to start that early. Um, I've had people go as back so yeah, as the, no, yeah. the Big Bang Theory, by the way. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, no, more seriously. Uh, I graduated college. I was an economics major, knew I loved economics going to college. Um, joined something called economics consulting, which I'm assuming most of your um, listeners have not heard of, or litigation consulting. So basically, two companies are suing each other. They have to hire law firms. The law firms then hire us, the economic consultants to come in. And I really just got very good at doing data work there. I did like a lot of analysis. It's a lot of backward looking stuff. So a lot of consulting you guys have maybe heard of management consulting is like Bain, BCG, all those companies. They're all forward looking. They're trying to help a business improve operations, et cetera. Economics consulting is backward looking. So you have historical data and you're analyzing data. And so that's what I got very good at doing is analyzing data and stuff. And I did that, had a good career path, was making good money, following the traditional, you know, corporate ladder and everything. But it just didn't, I didn't, I just saw like, hey, I was going to hit a ceiling at some point. And like, unless I was going to get a PhD or something, I couldn't move past that. I didn't want to do that. I didn't love economics enough to kind of go into this whole like, oh, I'm going to get an econ PhD. So I said, you know what, what do I really care about? I like personal finance. I like investing, but also data. So like, let's see if I can like pair that together. And I looked out there and there were a handful of like good blogs that have done this, but there weren't many. And I was like, there's a space here for me to kind of do cool visualizations and like make cool pictures and all this stuff and like really explain this complex stuff with visuals and data in a way that I think hasn't been done before. And so um, end of 2016, beginning of 2017, it was, uh, 2017 it was my New Year's resolution to start my blog. And I said, okay, hey, I'm going to write one post a week. And it was very broad. It was usually, it was like, it's sort of economics, finances all everywhere. And then I kind of just focused down into finance and investing. But um, yeah, I said, I'm just going to write once a week 
and do it every week and just keep going and go from there. And now it's been, we're going to get into this probably later when we talk about consistency, but now it's been, you know, 298 weeks now in a row. I've not missed a single week. And, uh, you know, last, the beginning of last year, being in 2021, I said, Hey, you know what? I think I have enough stuff. Now I can put together a book. And I think there's like a great idea here. I have pitched it to a publisher. They said, yes, I put together a manuscript in like five and a half months, half based on the blog, half was new material. I said, Hey, there's some new stuff. I, I know people wanted me to talk about, but I didn't want to just use only blog material because then people feel like they're getting ripped off and they're just getting, you know, Hey, you just, you just ripped off your blog you know, but so I took, you know, took that, put it together and. You know, the book came out in April, just keep buying came out on April 12th this year. So it's been out for a little, you know, as, as of this recording, less than two months now. So that's basically a story. I really just kind of love finance and, you know, oh, actually I didn't tell you how I got out, out of management, out of economics consulting. Like, so I was writing the blog for basically a year, met up with some people who are also bloggers in New York city. And they also happen to own a wealth management firm, you know, Josh Brown, Michael Batnick, all those people met up with them. We started chatting, hit it off. And basically it was like, Hey, you know, I, I'd want to work for you guys. And I said, sure. Like, let's, we can work this out. And so I, I came in as operations role. So I'm not doing like the investing stuff. We have a whole investment committee that does that. I do help with some of the research because I got my data skills, but I'm doing operations. I'm like helping, you know, our ops team, open accounts, our trading team, all these types of things, helping all of this stuff, you know, flow and move. You know, we went from 800 million to now we're almost $3 billion. And so that, you know, the organization has changed a lot. It's been scaling. That has been like the big thing for me. I started as a data scientist and just moved into the COO role. Cause it's like all ops all the way down. So that's basically it. You know, I do that for my full-time job, still have a full-time job, but at the same time, like I am kind of building my own separate path, doing this, this thing that I love, which is, you know, the writing and the content and all that. No, I love that because you actually end up bridging the gap a lot of things. And I totally get you. I was a business consultant uh, in digital, all things digital. So I totally get you. And like the digital mm -hmm. consulting world, whew, dealing with the big, big, big brands and uh, <laughs> digital transformation and data security and infrastructure and then social and like media and like everything. It was, it's, you know, so I, I get you. And then that, but you brought up, a, you know, a really interesting, I think you bring up several really great points, which is you started blogging about the things that you love you met up with other bloggers and other people within your sphere, like, oh, and it, it, more often than not, and I try to tell people this all the time, I'm like, it basically becomes a community more than you think online. She's like, oh, you're that guy that did that. Oh, yeah. Oh, I love that piece that you did on this. Hey, we should meet up. Oh, hey, you're in my city. Hey, why don't we get together? And it, people don't realize how quickly the digital world can become much smaller and more integrative and lead to so many more opportunities than you realize. Because people always like, like ask, you know, like, well, how do you get started? I'm like, just do it. <laughs> just like, just jump on and, and start, um, you know, within the categories that you want to talk about. You also brought up a great point about, you know, you started in, in um, where you're saying like economics, finances, several key things. And then you start to kind of narrow it down over time. I think that that's, that's a natural occurrence that's going to happen too, right? I mean, as you like get further along in the activity of doing um, and molding and shaping something, that's an, an inevitable plus your own personal growth that's involved in the process. Right. I mean, you're going to, it's going to naturally happen. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I think that's just, you know, the course of how things would go, you know? And so from a consistency standpoint, I want to, I want to jump into this because, um, you, so you, you start off with, uh, I'm going to do this once a week, every week for however long, you know, did you, did you, did you do it without the expectation of stopping? 
um, at any given point. You know how some people say, oh, I'm going to do this for three months and see where it goes. Um, I've found that like, just like with podcasting, I hadn't, <laughs> I actually said I was never going to podcast. I completely rejected podcasting. Uh, I got in when there's only 70,000 total podcasts. My audience kept asking for it. I said, no, 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 no. And finally, you know, once I, I, I said, fine, I'll do it. I didn't go in with the, um, the idea of it really stopping. I just kind of was like, all right, we'll see where this goes. And then, yeah, I didn't either. I have no idea when it was going to stop. I don't even think about that now. I mean, like, I mean, I might, I've all, I've thought about like, you know what, instead of doing it like every once, every Tuesday, I do it every Tuesday mornings when I send my email and my, you know, to everybody, my blog post out, I was like, maybe I'll just, maybe I'll go off like a schedule and just do it whenever I want. Maybe some weeks I'll do two, some weeks I'll do none. Maybe I won't do something for two weeks, but then I'm just like, there's too many people that are like, I look forward to your thing every Tuesday. Like, and I'm like, I just, I've like owned that for, for my, some of my bigger fans. Like I own that little morning for them. They're, they're going to, Oh, it's Tuesday. Oh, Nick's doing it. And it's, and it's never Monday because there's holidays, you know? So it's like, it's a nice time. So as far as I know, I'm going to keep doing it. There's a lot of things that I like. It's, it's, it's how I think about my week now is like every week I have a blog post. Right. And so I've never missed a week. And that's, and that's happened through like, you know, I've gone through breakups. I've lost family members. I've like had to travel, like vacation stuff like so I still got one I make sure to get it done earlier I figure it out right somewhere one way or another you know I might some really crazy events happening I might do two in a week and then skip the next week but it's basically it averages out to at least one a week you know so I basically never skip a week um yeah and you build you build your life around it like mm -hmm. it's it's a it's a staple like any other habit you know um mm -hmm. how was it for you in the very beginning was it just like uh uh, you know, and the reason I asked too is, I mean, I had people who would say, what are you going to do when you run out of content? I'm like, how? <laughs> like, how would I run out of content? You know, and they're like, well, you know, I mean, you know, out of, out of topics. I'm like, if we're living, there's a good chance there's a topic. I was like, you guys are just, I was like, the business world is just feeding it to me daily. Are you kidding me? It's <laughs> like, I don't think I'll ever really run out. Um, you know, but you know, how has it, how has it evolved for you since the beginning? And like, were there ever times too, by the way, um, you know, talk about some of the things that maybe come up sometimes that not hinder us, but like, you kind of wonder like, Hey, is this thing on? Like how, you know, we don't want to um, get too attached to the ideas. I want to impact at least one person. And if it, um, you know, compounds and grows from there, amazing. But there are sometimes along the way distractions, uh, life distractions or numbers distractions, or even like, you know, in, in your case, um, you know, I think it was, uh, you're already, well-versed in all of this material, but sometimes people say, oh, like, well, you know, we want to publish a book. Oh, well, like, how many followers do you have? You know, sometimes, like, that world gets a little quirky, and uh, I always have to remind people, I'm like, you want to know my real following count? <laughs> Versus mm -hmm. there, you know, it's like, there's just so many variables, I think, that sometimes can hinder a person's consistency if they allow it to, but the, dis the discipline of being consistent, like, how has it ever been challenged, if you will? Yeah, so I've actually written about this, you know, on the blog at some points, and basically, like, the first nine months of doing it were like the hardest thing I've probably ever done because I think what a lot of people, you, you probably know this very well, Matt, but a lot of people don't realize is when you start doing like content creation or doing something, we're trying to put some product out into the world. Rejection isn't people telling you your product sucks. Rejection is no one talking about like your stuff. Like no one's talking about your writing. No one's talking about your podcast. That's what rejection is. People think it's like someone saying, oh, this is terrible. Like, no, it's people not saying a word, right? Actually, I have found that the more people mm -hmm. that hate on a post, usually the more popular that post is. The only time I really get hate on posts is when they're very, 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 very popular. And so they get enough people. So I, I'm basically sampling from this big distribution of humanity. And the more popular it gets, the more likely I'm going to get these crazy people who are just like, you you know, you're the dumbest person I've ever met, you know, type of stuff, which is obviously like, do, am I really the dumbest person you've ever met? No, obviously not. But it's like one of those type of things where 
you're that first nine months was so tough because like I'm putting stuff out there. It's not really gaining. I mean, I did have a couple of pieces here and there that hit and had some traction, but then there would be like silence for months. It might be eight, seven, eight weeks in a row where I'm not, nothing's going well. Right. It's like, Oh, I put it out and I, you know, Oh, it got like, you know, a couple hundred views, 500 views and a thousand views. And I'm like, I'm trying to really grow this thing now. Boris, now even a post that's not great now for me is going to get seven, 8,000 views, even mm -hmm. a post that's not great on, you know, web page views. Right. And a post that does really well can get, you know, 15, 20, 30 and plus from there. Right. So it's one of those things where you just have to kind of just grind through it. And it's terrible. Honestly, I'm not going to lie. It was, it was a very dark time for a host of reasons. Cause like I had actually broken up with a girlfriend. She thought the blog was stupid. Like all this stuff, like I'm starting to now, and then you start going in your own head. If you really think about right. it, you start getting in your head and you're like, did I really make a mistake? Maybe the blog is dumb. Maybe it's like not as good as I thought. Right. But you have to really kind of keep the faith. And honestly, the only thing I can say is like, if you see someone early in the journey and you think they're putting out something, at least of some quality, like encourage them. Like I, that's the reason I'm here today is like, I had people, bigger creators, like, Hey, keep going. Like this is, yeah. don't worry. Don't get discouraged. Keep going. Cause otherwise like you'll, you'll give up. Right. And so I think if I didn't have those people, I probably would have given up at some point. I didn't think about it at points. I think like seven, eight or maybe nine months in, I was like, what am I doing with this? Like, I'm still putting out these posts and they're not going anywhere, but kept with it, you know, met some more people. It slowly grew and it's been a slow growth. Some people right out the gate, they're just successful. And you're going to see those people. I know people that have joined, you know, joined Twitter in 2020 or 2021 and have more followers than me, have a bigger following than me now. And I've been doing this for five years, but it's not like, I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh my gosh, like they're better than me. It's just right. some things hit more. Some, some ideas are, have a bigger market, you know, like I'm in finance, I'm in finance, technical finance and investing, right? It's a very, it's a much smaller market than talking about, I don't know, something like, you know, mental models or habits or like, there's different things out there and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just like realizing like, Hey, you know, just let it go and it'll slowly grow. And I remember like my first month I had like, you know, 3000 pages. I only got lucky because like Jason's why by chance and wall street journal yeah. happened to retweet one of my things very early, but that was like the only big thing I got for a very long time. It's like, I was living off of that one retweet for forever. So if you hadn't even done that, maybe I would have given up sooner. Right. But if you think about it, it's just like, you're living off that. Like my first month, I got like 3000 pages because of luck. And then after that, like now I'm getting over, you know, 150,000 page views a month easily. Right. And so it's one of those things where I'm only posting once, a, you know, once a week. Right. And so most of those views are on my old material. It's not my new stuff. Remember if I'm looking at like eight to 10,000 page views on a new post, that's only 40,000 posts or 40,000 page views a month. Right. Just on that. So the other hundred and something's coming from all my prior content, right. Or my homepage and other pages. Right. So when you think of it like that, it's a little bit um, more interesting, but yeah, I would say you just gotta, you gotta push through that, but you have to have some, you also have to be like kind of realistic about like, do I have some quality? If like, you're getting literally, if no one is sharing, like zero people are sharing, zero people are saying, you might need to say, Hey, am I doing this right? Do I need to change things a little bit? That's kind of the idea. It's like, you have to be off of zero a little bit. If you're not, at, if you're completely at zero, then you're probably diluting yourself. But if you're getting some traction, you're starting to see some growth and there's probably something there. You just need to push through it. So that that's the difference. It's like thinking about those two different models. There's so many great, great uh, points in there, especially, you know, I love the beginning where you get the, the one beautiful hit that like reminds us like, yeah, this is exactly why I got into this. And you know, like when Jason Zweig, like, you know, retweeted something you're like, exactly. And then uh, it's like in the book, The Alchemist, and he's like, well, yeah, in the beginning, you know, that that beginning, I don't want to use the word luck, but it's like that that kind of it's like the thing that says, oh, yeah, this is exactly it's this is exactly how it's supposed to work out. And then you think it's going to continue to be like that. And it's like, oh, no, no, no. That was just sort of like you got in the game. This is really good. This is kind of your confirmation. Now there's going to be all kinds of different variables along the way. And there's going to be moments where it feels um, you know, draining or like that, you know, is this thing on? Like, is this microphone on? Like, can I, you know, 
Um, yeah, I, I love that. Sorry to cut it real quick. I love that alchemist quote where he says, what has happened once may never happen again, yeah. but what has happened two times will surely happen a third time. And that's kind of the idea you're getting at. Like you could have like a one hit wonder, but if you're getting, once you get to two, like, okay, someone else liked it. This is a different one. This kind of did okay. Then, you know, you got something. So yeah, yeah I agree with you. Yeah. A hundred percent. And then, and then, and then to your point, I mean, and by the way, thank you for, um, for, for telling like it is. That's exactly what happens is that, you know, you can get seven, eight, nine months and you'll be like, am I crazy? Like, I don't think I'm crazy. And to your point about like, if you know you're giving value, you know what I mean? Because you can, you can, there's, there's signals. You can, you can get signals and know that like, no, nah, um, there's value here, you know, and whatnot. But yeah, you're right. And you also brought the point about like, you know, when you're early on, uh, I was, it's funny, um, I was scrolling through some posts this morning on Instagram and like sometimes we can get so quick on our own world that I, I was like, oh, wait, let me scroll back. Let me support that person like because they're they're earlier on. Like, let me make sure to and I like and I like their content. But I was I myself was in a hurry and I'm like, wait, 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 support, you know, that that early support. I have found that two types of people have been very supporting throughout the journey. The ones that are vastly larger that like they dig what you're doing. They're like, yo, keep going. And also your community that you build. There have been moments that I'm like, this is this is wild. Sometimes what I'm doing, I don't, you know, whatever it might be, and you get these amazing DMs. I, I, I'm just like, I always say, God gives you the billboard. It's like, <laughs> like you weren't listening to me, so like, let me put it to you plain and simple. And mm -hmm. like, there's these things that you're like, I was not expecting that, and you're like, I get it, I get it, like I get it, like, and I think it's beautiful. Uh, signals for like the keep going part because unless and, and I always tell I always tell the audience I'm like talk your heart out you want to say something like say it you like have a feeling about something feel it like let it let me know let the community know like say it because you don't realize that it's a two-way relationship where um you know it's uh, like I we want to know your feedback we want to know how you feel from all of this and sometimes people can easily look at you and be like oh well like He's probably not approachable. He's probably like, you know, a very busy man. He's probably doing all these different things. Like this is a very important job. Uh, you know, uh, I, I can't approach or I can't ask a question. And, and I think I always remind the audience like, no, ask. Like, you know. Yeah, my DMs are open too. I answer everyone. I, I generally don't miss unless you send something kind of just outrageous or like <laughs> yeah. nonsensical, then no offense. Like I'm not going to respond to you. But if you just ask me like a legit question, if it's like straightforward, I'll, and if I don't have the answer, I'll be like, hey, sorry, I don't know that. So. Yeah. yeah. The only other thing I would say on that with consistency is like, everyone's always worried like, oh, what if this one's not as good as the last one? Like your fans don't care. Right. Like if you put out good value, if you, yeah. as long as you put out good value to some extent, like often enough, some, some level of quality, like they will come back right to some, I mean, cause here's the thing, like I've written 298 blog posts. If I went, you know, you know, gun to my head, I probably could name 50 of them. Maybe like I, right. I've written all 298. Now, if you reminded me of it, like, oh, I remember writing that, but like a gun to my head, right? Right now, so name every blog post you've ever written. I might be able to get to 50 titles, like or roughly 50 ideas, right? I'd probably run out, but I'm saying now imagine my fans, maybe my best fan could name 10, maybe, right? Yeah. I'm not saying my best fan. Most of my fans could probably name two or three at most, right? And so that's got the kind of idea is like, no one remembers your losers. They only remember the winners. So what you got to do is just focus on putting out like, you know, enough content of, of a sufficient quality so that you can just get winners, right? And you're not, you have no idea where inspiration is going to come from. It just kind of happens naturally. I got to ask recently, they're like, what's your favorite podcast that you've done? I'm like, ooh, or like favorite guests. I'm like, all of them. Because like, mm -hmm. I don't, honestly, I don't remember I could probably name like 25 or 30 episodes. I mean, I remember all the guests. I remember all the guests, but like the themes and the titles and all that other stuff. It's like you get in, you, you're present. We're creating this together. We launch it. 
we hope that it impacts the world and it does in some capacity. And we're like, keep, you know, churning out, um, you know, inspiration via like doing <laughs> basically. And, you know, and that's the process is that like, but you're right. It's like if we to go back and remember, as long as we're churning out value and uh, and it's wild sometimes to me, I and I'm wondering this from you. Have you also been a consumer of your own stuff? And here's what I mean by that. Maybe you already know what I mean by that. But like, um, for me, it's like a very channeled experience. Like I love writing and going down these rabbit holes with the, whether it's the Substack or the blogs or the, you know, the podcast and all these things. I do it and I just keep moving. But it's not sometimes until I either go back to a post, somebody on a bigger account reposted my work or I'm like listening to a, a, a podcast episode. And I'm like, huh. Like it's, it's different for me as a consumer. I mean, in a great way, I'm like, where did that come from? Because I, you know, the act of doing is way different than consuming, creating and consuming are two totally different vibes for me. Do you ever go back to your stuff and be like, wow, like interesting, you know what I mean? Like, and, 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 and appreciate it the way maybe your, your, your own, um, audience does. I actually don't really, cause when I'm writing the, my posts, like every, I'm like perfecting every, for my, from right. my perspective, I'm perfecting every line from the beginning to the end. It's right. almost like I'm, I'm giving a speech. Like this is exactly what I would say. So like, I'm just writing it out. Yep. The only time I ever consume my own con content is like a really old piece. And I'm like, Oh, like something, someone will repost. I'll look at it. And I, and I only actually only have negative feelings. I'm like, uh, I would have written this differently. Like, I mean, not that like <laughs> it's a bad post, but like, okay, I see why they liked it, but like I could have tightened this up. Like I can see my writing getting better and I can, yeah. I can see the mistakes I made like way back, you know, five years ago. I'm like, Oh yeah, see, I should have used this word. I should use a synonym for this. And then like, I can already just like critique myself and realize how I'm a better writer today. And so most of me reconsuming myself is me <laughs> just saying like, Oh, the idea was gold, but like the execution of that idea wasn't the best in terms of how I phrase certain things. I could have just, I could have made this so much more. And so I've changed my style over time. There's a bunch of things I've done, but that's an example of like when I'm reconsuming my content, it's mostly, I would say critically, it's not like in a joyous, like, Oh my gosh, because I, I know the idea. Right. So I'm not going to surprise right. myself with something I've already written. Right. So like, even like, even I said, I only remember 50 of my 300 posts, yeah. but you know, once I start reading, I'm like, Oh, I remember this now. Like I'll remember kind of like basically the, the main structure of how, what I wrote about. So, yeah. No, you know, um, if I go back to like six years ago stuff, especially on the the bigger account that I officially uh, first started, which was HDF Magazine, I was a publishing platform to talk about entrepreneurship and stuff, hustle and deal flow, like deal flow, obviously, because um, I've done so much with the VC world. And so, um, and uh, yeah, it's interesting to go back and see more of the personal growth. Like I can see why it had an edge and a sharp kind of <laughs> like, you know, screw this, like, you know, kind of like, this is how it, you know, I'm going to talk about the things that they don't normally talk about. Um, and it had an edge. So I can see the personal growth from that standpoint. Um, but you know, if it's, if it's, I'm looking at like the more recent, like three or four years, um, for me, writing is a very like kind of, um, it's a very, it's almost like a very spiritual thing. Like you're, I mean, even, even if something is like finance or something is like, you know, mental well-being or in health or whatever it might be. Or for me, it's a lot of times it's business. I mean, talk like systems and automation. Like I think about like, cause that's what we have as an agency. Like, so, um, you know, but it's always interesting to go back and like, like see the, the concept of like, huh? Like, because from, I don't know, for me, it's been a very channeled experience. I'm like, I'm just like, uh, I'm, I'm in, in the moment and not trying to, it's like you're thinking, but you're also operating from a deeper place. So you're like, where is it? Like, it's a, it's a, it's a zone that you're like, you know, um, so I, you know, that's why I wonder, like, you know, I wonder, and I, but I guess for you, it's almost like Michael Jordan, when he goes back and he's like, he was looking at his like tape, he's like, mm, I could have done that better. Kobe, right. It's like, 
ooh, I could have done that better here. But I ever also wonder if Kobe ever like, damn, that was a really good crossover. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so um, let's talk about the book, Just Keep Buying. So um, it's been a couple months. Talk about, you know, the underlying themes and, and, you know, what you really wanted the readers to get out of it and, you know, kind of, you know, maybe uh, where you're hoping it goes from here, all the things. Yeah. So the subtitle is Proven Ways to Save Money and Build Your Wealth. And I use the word proven on purpose because this is really a data-driven guide to personal finance and investing. Now, when I say data-driven, don't it's not a bunch of boring statistics and right. stuff. Like I have tons of stories in there. It's very accessible. Like my 75-year-old grandmother read it and she understood she said 70% of it. So I was like, hey, if my 75-year-old grandmother who's never invested a day in her life, really, if she can understand like most of this stuff, then I feel like I've, I've done well enough there. So trust me, there's a lot of stories, very trying to make it very entertaining, you know, if you sign up for my email list, you can get the intro for free and see it kind of kind of get my vibe of how I write and stuff like that. But it came about, as I said, I wrote in 2021, came out this year, um, and I basically just wanted to, you know, set the record straight and kind of bust a lot of myths in personal finance and investing. Like there's I can go through a handful. Of them. For example, yeah. you know, there's this I, you see the financial media talk about there's this major retirement crisis and, oh, you know, retirees are running out of money and this and that. But you look at the data and it's just not true. Like only one in seven retirees are selling down their principal, right? So imagine you have a million dollars in assets and you get like, a, let's say you got a 4% return, right? That's 40,000 you'd get, right? So most, most retirees are living off social security plus that 40,000 or even less than the 40, right? So they're just living off the income they have already in the United States. They don't have to sell down, you consume the 40 and then sell some of the million down in that year. They don't have to do that at all, right? And so that's what's super interesting is like, most people aren't doing that yet. There's like the, the media is like, there's a retirement crisis, all this. And it's just like, where is that coming from? It's just made up, right? Another thing is like, you should cut your spending in order to build wealth. And I look at the data and I say like, there is no evidence that that is a long-term solution. It's not, it's from the short term, it can work, but the only long-term reliable path to building wealth is raising your income. And I just, here's, I'll just give you one piece in the data, one piece of information. The most positively correlated thing with savings rate is income level. Like how much income do you make? Like the more, the more income you make, the higher your savings rate as a percentage, not just, oh, if someone makes a million, they save more than someone who makes 100,000. Like, okay, that's obvious. But I'm saying even the rate, the percentage is high, right? So the $100,000 person might be saving 10 grand after tax a year. The million dollar person is going to be saving more than 100,000, right? After tax a year, like that percentage is going to be higher than 10, right? So once you start looking in the day, you start seeing all this stuff that's just not true. And so people are saying, oh, don't have your lattes. It's like your latte is not the reason, right? And like, I have so much data for like, for all these different things, right? People are saying like, Another example I'll give. We'll give one more and then we can stop and we can discuss. No, these like, are great. You can give a lot because I know yeah, that the listeners, yeah, I actually know that the listeners that, like it. So go ahead. Yeah, another one. Uh, you should max out your 401k, right? That's something like literally every single personal finance expert I've ever heard of said you should max your 401k. And I like run some numbers on it, run some analysis. And the the benefit you get from, from avoiding those capital gains taxes by having a 401k, the benefit you get above the employer match. So further, just quick aside, sorry, this is a quick aside. You should always do your employer match, right? That's 100% match to you. If you have a employer match, do that. But anything beyond the match, or if you don't have a match at all, then like you need to really consider before you put any money in above the match or if there is no match, right? And the reason is because like the benefit you're getting, I calculated is about 0.7% a year, right? And you can change the assumptions. That'll change a little bit, but 0.7% is not a ton. But once you also consider the fees in your 401k, if you're, the fees you're paying for your funds are much higher than what you could get like on the outside in like a brokerage account or something, you could lose all of that. And like, there's their 401ks out there where all the funds they have are, it's like 1%. So like you've, not only are you losing that 70, that 0.7%, but you now you're getting negative 0.3% here, right? Cause you're paying 1% to get a 0.7% gain. It's so silly, right? So 
there's a, I just wanted to start the conversation, right? And for certain people in certain circumstances, it's because it's a tax question. It's going to be individualized and personal, as you said, or at you know, the beginning of the podcast, like personal matters. Um, but at the end of the day, like I wanted to start this conversation because I think when nine out of nine personal finance experts say max your 401k, then I think there's like, is that actually true? Like go back to first principles and just say like, does the data actually show that? And in my case, it doesn't. So if you include the flexibility arguments, if you actually look at like, I don't know if people know this, but like if you have money in a brokerage account, you have no other income, you can pull out $40,000 a year in capital gains, right? So let's say you, you're or dividends or whatever you're getting paid. If you have no other income, tax-free, tax-free, 40 grand a year, tax-free, right? And that, and if you include your standard deduction, you actually do 50K a year. And if you have a, a spouse, now you double that. Now it goes 100K a year. So if you have a big enough portfolio in just a brokerage account, you can literally pull out $100,000 a year with zero taxes. That assumes you have no other income, assumes you're retired, you're just pulling that. Now, if you compare that strategy to like maxing a 401k, it's obvious that the, the brokerage strategy is better because you have the flexibility of having that money whenever you need it. You obviously don't have to pay any tax on it after. It's like there's so many kind of cool things there. So that's the one thing I want to talk about is just like thinking about these different ideas, busting them, kind of going through the data and showing why certain things are true or not. And just, I just want to start the conversation and say like, hey, what's actually true out there and what's not? And let's kind of kind of get into it. No, I, I love that. And especially when you were bringing up like if nine, ten, nine out of 10 say this, I'm always a little leery of that. I'm like, I'm going to go test that right now. <laughs> and usually you get a lot of experts who like. It's because they're going by such textbook things, you know, like my mentor mm -hmm. teaches me this all the time. You know, he's, he's retired and he's a finance guy. And it's so interesting. Like, here's what the norm says and society has taught it, you know, and then it's like, oh, by the way, here's like what's really going on. <laughs> so, yeah, and I think a lot yeah. of times people haven't even just no one's run the numbers. It's as simple yeah. as that. Like no one can do this stuff. And I'm not saying like I have some really special skill. I just have a skill like this programming skill mm -hmm. that is not. Really, there's the Venn diagram between the people that program and the people that talk about personal finance is very small. And I'm like one of the small number of people out there that does that. And so because of that, I can like run all these simulations that other people can't do. You can't do this in an in a Excel sheet. You can't do this in an Excel file. It's too complex. You have to run all these simulations, for loops, all this stuff. So because of that, I can test things that other people just aren't testing. And that's all it is. It's not some super elaborate thing. It's just like, I can just do, I can just test stuff that other people can't test. And as a result, I'm finding like, Hey, maybe this isn't as smart as people think. Like, and I just wanted to challenge it. Well, and I think that, um, when you challenge not out of opinion, but out of data, out of numbers, like numbers don't lie. Um, it allows people to make better choices. Like, Hey, mm -hmm. this is what is coming up now. Not manipulated data. I'm, I'm just mm -hmm. saying that for anybody listening, <laughs> there can be manipulated data, obviously out there. <laughs> Media does a great job with that. But like, but when you take actual factual numbers and, you know, present in a very like, you know, matter of fact way, like, Hey, here's what you're looking at. What does that tell you? And then let that be a guidance system for the decisions that you make from there. And I just think that it, it takes out the kind of opinionated expert on this news channel or that mm -hmm. news channel and all these like just the noise. And it makes things a lot more um, uh, uh, absorbable and comprehensible. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of times people just go off intuition like, oh, that makes logical sense in your head. But like just because something makes logical sense doesn't mean it's actually right. For example, I have no evidence from my personal experience that the earth is round. Like every, even when I'm in an airplane, the earth looks flat to me. Even when I'm in an airplane, even I know I'm pretty sure I trust the science. It's a globe, all this stuff. 
but I have no personal experience to show that. So intuitively, the earth being flat makes sense. It makes a ton of sense. Everything I've ever seen says it's flat, right? But based on everything we know about science, you're looking at the moon, there's so many other things I can go with. It's like, it's probably not flat, right? Because of all these things, right? And there's ways to test it even on earth. There's, I know how to do some of these tests, but I'm not going to go and, you know, do all this stuff. But you get my point, right? It's like, there's certain things that like, oh, intuitively makes sense in personal finance. Like, of course, cutting your latte is going to get you rich, right? But it's like, when you look at the data, it's like, there's no evidence that people can actually do that. And right, that's the problem. And so I want to just kind of bring those back and say like, what's actually happened there. And, and you're right. It's not opinions. This is all, this is all backed by data as much as I can. Right. And there's times when, for example, there's a lot of things saying like, Oh, lottery winners, you know, they're not happy after they win the lottery. This is not in the book, by the way, but I, I used to believe this as well, but I looked at the data and it's actually not true. Like people who win the lottery, generally their life satisfaction is better. There are, there are cases of people who obviously ruin it and, right. and do badly. There are those examples and they usually make the headlines, but most people who win the lottery actually do have more life satisfaction after they're generally better off than before, especially if they had a bunch of financial um, problems, right? If you have a bunch of financial problems and you get a bunch of money, you know, you basically like, Hey, I got this really great gift. And like, I just don't want to ruin it. And if you don't, you'll probably be happier than when you had like a ton of financial issues, you know? So, you know, the, the whole latte thing is a, is a fun one for me. You know, I've, I've spoken about that before to people. And I said that, you know, cutting back on that or Netflix or whatever it might be, I was like, well, energetically, I think is already coming from a, you know, I was like, you're almost thinking about like, how do I hemorrhage the bleeding versus how do I make more? I'm like, so where are the two different energies going? One is focusing on, I don't want to say lack, but like, you know, it's kind of an energy of like, ooh, like, you know, how do I hemorrhage the bleeding um, versus, okay, how do I, um, you know, where do I get smart and um, start making more? Now, where I did address the lattes and I said, like, because one gal had asked me, she said, well, I don't, I don't have a marketing budget. I'm like you know, as she was trying to uh, build up some of her, like as a solopreneur. And I was like, okay. And I was like, well, tell me about your daily habits. And so she was telling me about something. And I was like, all right, well, how about instead of your $8 latte, it was like times 30 days, like it's 240 bucks. I'm like, put that into boosting your post. I was like, so sometimes it's just redirecting the funds. <laughs> like, you know, I was like, mm -hmm. maybe not save on the latte, but I was like, but maybe you think about how you use the money that you currently have while building more money, especially using current mm -hmm. money to make more money. You know, I was like, think about the cash flow asset that you're trying to build. <laughs> so to your point, it's like cutting back the latte and not necessarily doing anything else with what you would, the, the, the replacement cost or the, or the opportunity mm -hmm. cost, I should say, right, of where that money mm -hmm. would go elsewhere to make more cash flow. Um, and I think that's where it's like, you always get two sides of the coin kind of said like, Oh, you know, that won't help. And then you get the, like, you know, then it's like only, you know, only throw money at it. It's like, well, hold up a second. Like, <laughs> you know, so, um, so, but I like that you bring that up. It's like, yeah, you know, the data actually shows, no, that's not, you know, plus probably what's what the data if we had to even, you know, interpret it a lot of times too, is that like, we, to your point about the lottery, there's a satisfaction of like, listen, I like the coffee every single day. It makes me feel a certain way. It makes me charge to go out there and take on the day yet another day and like actually build on top of what I'm already trying to build on top of. So I think it, there's a lot of mental play. No. Yeah. Like if you have energy, if it gives you energy to perform better at work and that raises your income, like the latte is actually a net benefit, right? So there's a lot of ways you can cut it, but I agree right. that like there's, I'm just saying there's a lot of personal finance issues out there and oh, I just yeah. try to address a lot of these things, renting versus buying. I address like all sorts of stuff, you know, it's not just about, you know, just keep buying is about dollar cost averaging into a, you know, diverse set of income producing assets. That's like the core thesis of the book. Like if I could only give you three words, that's what I would give you. Like just keep buying income producing assets, you know, just keep buying the, the, the head thing or the main idea there. But at the end of the day, there's a lot of other things you're going to need on your journey. That's kind of what I go through. Uh, you know, I've enjoyed the dollar cost average from the sheer detachment of um, 
you know, it's uh, what I, I once heard, um, the greatest wealth is built consistently and is usually very boring. <laughs> it's just yeah. doing certain things for a very long time. And it's just boring, you know, like you want excitement, go be a day trader and like lose all your hair or whatever. But no, but I mean, some people I know actually do it very, very well. But the idea of like consistency, um, yeah. uh, you know, and boring builds wealth. And, and I mean, I, it's, it's exactly what you're talking about here with consistency. It's like writing one post a week, buying into the, you know, buying your 401k every two weeks or however often you get paid. Right. Just like that type of stuff, you do it for a long time. And then it's like, oh my gosh, like, you know, I was so weird to me. Like I, my first year out of college, I worked very hard to try and get a nice bonus and everything. My first job got the bonus I wanted, you know, and as much money as that was, I remember losing like multiples of that in a single day in March, 2020, like losing on paper. Like, I didn't sell obviously, but like, imagine you're, imagine like spending so much effort for so you know, now looking relatively now, it looks like a little amount of money, but I, I worked so hard to get like an extra couple grand or something, right. In a bonus. And then years later, like seeing the market drop and losing multiples of that in a day, <laughs> then you start to realize like, what the heck that's the, that's really the beauty of compounding is like one day you're going to lose more money than you could save in a year. Right. If you do this right, right. You're going to, I mean, lose on paper, as I said, right. You're going to see your wealth decline by more than you could save in a year. And that's like, it's, it's crazy to see that, but at the same time, it's like, wow, that's really the beauty of compounding. And right. And like, and if you keep doing it, it's just going to get more and more and more. It's going to become its own thing. Right? I would, I would love for you to expand on the, the historical data data of that because you know, the whole panic selling, watching everybody now, like I'm I'm minimally in the stock market compared to mm -hmm. my crypto portfolio, so I know exactly what you're talking about and the volatility mm -hmm. of that. Like, <laughs> but for me, for me, but I bought so low that at this point I'm just everything's a, a bonus at this point. But it's like, yeah, you see this massive. You're like, oh, that's about eighty percent drop from, <laughs> you know. Mm -hmm. And people are like, well, why aren't you panicked? I'm like, well, I guess uh, okay. In fairness, buying so low when I did to start like that helps, but. I was like, I'm already through set like a couple cycles now. Like you just kind of see and you you don't panic and you know, um, you have to you know when in doubt zoom out right. And I mean I think that that's just the constant like uh, thesis. But a lot of people panic. So I would love for you to talk about the historical data of long term um, and zooming out. Yeah. So. I mean, this is true, remember, so I have different beliefs when it comes to crypto versus like 100%. stocks or 100%. real estate or farmland or other things of that nature. And so those the, the second group, which is I named stocks, you know, sure. businesses, equity, stocks, farmland, all that, I call those income producing assets. And so I would say I recommend in the book, like 85 to 90% of your portfolio being income producing, the other 10 to 15% could be non-income producing. So you can own things like art, crypto, gold. And the only reason I say that is because at the end of the day, like, there is a fundamental like cash flow that exists with all the income producing, which like at the end of it, like, you know, art, wine, gold, all that stuff, that all that is priced just based on what other people are willing to pay for. And there's nothing wrong with that. You can still make money with those. And I know that's true. The only issue with that is like, at the end of the day, if there's no fundamentals, those things can be much more volatile and they can drop in price for no reason. You know, even if like the, the, there's value to like, for example, I think blockchains have value. Like there's actually a fundamental value there. The question is figuring out what that value is. No one really knows versus like a cash flow that's measurable. You can say, look, this business here is pumping out this much in cash flows. So no matter what, it's always going to be worth at least, even in the craziest time, it should be worth at least this, right? It's like right. buying a suitcase with $50,000 in it. You would never pay less than 50,000, right? And if you did, and if it, if someone was offering to sell it to you for 40, you should be like, oh, give me that suitcase right now. Like, you know, it'd be a, a clear deal. So that's kind of the difference, I think, about fundamental value and just like non-income producing assets, which are kind of harder to think about. But I do think 
both make sense in a portfolio and you can have both. It's a question of how much risk you want to take. And you're right. Like, you know, it's like very rare for the U S stock market to be down 80%. I only know of one case where that's happened. And that was obviously great depression. It was actually down 90%, but generally like, you know, that's stuff that happens in crypto, like kind of regularly, maybe not with Bitcoin and Ethereum, but with some of the other coins it's happened 80% drops I've seen and, and more. So it's just like, understand your risk. And if you know your risk profile, like, yeah, you can, you can own those types of things, but just realize what you're getting yourself into because seeing an 80% drop is not, uh, not a fun no. Uh, proposition. No, you know, and it's, um, and it's interesting because I've had a lot of people like, you know, you of all people, like, uh, interestingly how you'd be more in crypto than in, in stocks. And I'm like, you know, to your point, it's, it's, for me, it's about blockchain because tech is my entire back 20 years of tech. You start to see like, oh, I get the use case. I get the utility. I get where, you know, uh, the fundamentals of what's trying to be done. I get like, I can look at the founders, you know, the way you do like in VC firms where you're trying to like look at their background and their character, like all the different things. And you can kind of see, you know, what's centralized, pretty much everything. <laughs> what's decentralized, pretty much is Bitcoin. But, um, you know, but you start to, you start to see, you know, what the, the fundamentals from a technology standpoint are. Had I not not known that I probably wouldn't have been able to geek out on it, you know, because you make up a very valid, completely valid points, which is in this, you know, with the stock market, cash flows, period, like you see performance happening. And in any pretty much and if you're banking on especially companies that in all times, crisis or not, you know, they're still functioning, how are they functioning? How well are they really doing? And how much cash flow is really coming in? And you can that that's true data that you can go off of <laughs> versus speculation that happens often in uh, crypto. And you're just like, you know, I'm banking that after we get through this dot com bust, <laughs> that mm -hmm. this is what's going to, you know, remain as the as the dominant players. And nothing says uh, that that's 100 percent, not even close. Mm -hmm. So uh, so it's interesting. OK, um, what are some other like myths that you like to that you bring up in the book? I think a big one is, uh, you know, you should you should save up cash to buy the dip. You hear this all the time. Like, oh, I'm just oh, yeah, saving yeah. up cash oh, to yeah, buy yeah. the next dip. Right. This is a terrible <laughs> strategy. Historically, it would not have worked like, you know, 80% of the time you underperform if you tried this strategy versus just, you know, buying every single month, just keep buying, right? It's like, and the, the logic for why this is true is because on average, the market goes, the stock market at least, right? and I actually showed this in like a lot of other things. I show like waiting to get invested. I show this in crypto. I show this in so many things, like so many different asset classes that if you wait to get invested, instead of just putting it all in now, on average, about 70, 80% of the time, you're going to underperform than if you just put it in now, right? And the reason for that is like, most assets go up over time, right? Like that's true. I mean, that's otherwise, why are you investing in them? Like the premise, right. it's in the premise. Like what's the point of buying stocks and doing all this and trying to grow your wealth? It's because they're going up over time, right? And that's the whole idea. So if you're like, oh, I think it's going to go up over time, but I'm just going to wait until it, I think it's going to go. You know, it's like, it's you're trying to predict the future. It's very difficult, you know? And so like trying to wait and wait for these dips, by the time that dip happens, usually that dip price is higher than where you could have gotten in originally. And I remember this, like I can give you a very extreme example. I started blogging beginning of 2017. I remember I, you know, I wrote this post, just keep buying. People were saying, oh, you know, markets are too overvalued right now to get in, right? You know, US stock market. So I said, let's say you saved up cash starting then. And at the time I wrote that or whatever. And you waited and just held cash, 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 cash. You wait, you're waiting for a big dip. And then March 2020 comes along. You wait till March 23rd, 2020, the exact day of the bottom. Somehow you perfectly time the exact day of the bottom, right? So I'm giving you that, right? And you bought then. You've been holding cash the whole time. Even if you had done that, you would have bought it at prices 7% higher than what you could have gotten in 2017, right? Now, 
that's like a, such an extreme example. You have to hold it for years, watch the market go through these multiple 20-year gain, 20% gains, and sit there and do nothing. And then all of a sudden, then you have to have the perfect timing to buy it right at the bottom, right? Even if you had that foresight, you still would have bought a higher price, right? It just kind of illustrates how difficult this game is and why you should not be playing this market timing game at all. And if no one and anyone that can do it, like if they have a secret, they're not telling anyone. It's like someone like Jim Simons, who has Renaissance Technologies out in Long Island, and he's running that hedge fund, and it's kept under lock and key. It's probably the biggest secret in America because he's been compounding his wealth, I don't know, 30 40% a year for like 30 years now, and no one knows how he does it, right? But there's other things too, like his whole fund is is uh, cash. Const- they, they only can have so much money in the fund. They have, every year, they basically just pay a dividend because they have if they have more money, their strategies underperform again. So they have to they can only put so much in there, right? It's a very interesting thing, but you just can't do it. So don't market time. Don't try to do that stuff. It's just, it's it's a losing game for you. See, even he's consistent. <laughs> yeah, no, he's consistent in creating those returns, but he's got like literally the smartest mathematicians in the world, all math Fair. PhDs working for him and finding these little arbit, you know, these arbitrages and then kind of, you know, playing markets against each other. And who knows what, no one actually knows exactly what they do, but they're the greatest money-making machine in history, basically. Yeah, you know, um, I, I, I love, because I, I, I'd seen you speak on this point and that, you know, the whole timing of the market, I, I don't believe in it. Um, I mean, even if you're really, really good, to your point, you're still paying, you know, at the bottom <clears throat> higher than you would have, you know, long ago. And I think, you know, when I got into Ethereum, it was about $15, $20 a coin. Um, so it's been interesting watching, I mean, and I've just consistently dollar cost averaged outside of those years, outside of 17 and 18 and 19. Um, but it's been interesting to see, like, even as you get like new bottoms and we're not even anywhere near the, the next bottom of this, but, um, in my opinion, um, but it's, but you're right. It's interesting. Cause even if somebody were to buy at a new bottom, let's say Ethereum gets to like 600 again or something like that. Um, it's still six X higher than the last bottom and you know where you could be you know you'd saved up all that time whatever but like again back to that dollar cost averaging whether it's the stocks or crypto or whatever it might be having those averages out over time like if i'm buying high and i'm buying low but i'm somewhere here in the middle of an asset that constantly keeps going up you know yeah and i don't have to worry about the time i don't like i don't i don't want to because the the stress that comes with that and you then i feel like you start to make irrational you can make the the irrational rational, right? You can start to like kind of overanalyze and go off of like assumptions versus just like, let me just use data and consistency. Yeah, and honestly, when you're talking about the return on time, I think that's a huge idea because like the amount of time you put into this endeavor, like how much you're actually getting out of it. Let's say you have $10,000, right? Let's just say hypothetically, you have $10,000 invested, right? And let's say in a normal year, you get a 10% return. But you said, you know, what? I'm gonna spend five hours a week doing, or let's say 10 hours a week, make this, make the numbers easier, 10 hours a week doing stock research. Okay. So let's say you spend 500 hours a year, right. And you get that 10% return to a, let's say a 20% return, right? So a 10% return is a thousand dollars, 20% returns 2000. So you made an extra thousand dollars, but you spent 500 hours to do it. How much was your pay? $2 an hour, right? It's like, <laughs> if you have a million dollars, that's worth it. But if you have 10,000, 20,000, it's, it's not worth your time. And so I think a lot of people spend so much time on these things that don't end up moving the needle. You've been better off just getting a part-time job and saving that money. Mm-hmm. Like you've been better off doing a second, a, a third side hustle, a second side hustle, and just saving that money than you would, than all the time you spent doing stock research. It's so ridiculous to me. And I see so many people doing this 
And I'm like, your account, I'm like, I don't want to, I, I don't say this to them because it's kind of rude. I'm like, your account balance is too low where this makes any sense for you. Like you should be, like, you literally could make more money at McDonald's with all the time you do this. I understand you like it and that's fine. That's probably why people do it. But at the same time, like until you're moving, until you have a significant amount of capital, like you're, then you don't move the needle enough with that type of research, you know, until like you're running someone else's money or you were just rich, right? And you have enough to, to kind of make a difference in your life. Opportunity cost of time. You know, I love yeah. uh, like Naval's take always on on time, you know, and he's like, I remember when he, he was saying how um, he benchmarked himself at a $5,000 an hour, um, you know, fee, if you will, uh, when he was, you know, way younger. He said, he's like, was that overpriced? Probably. It's like, but the goal was knowing that if something could be done with um, in that hour, less than that, then I have to delegate it out. I have to like, you know, um, have that time compensated for um, versus me doing it because otherwise, like, what's the opportunity cost of me not being able to make, you know, at least 5,000 an hour. He's like, no, again, he's like, I wasn't worth it back then. <laughs> he's like, I probably, he's like, he's like, I'm probably closer to two. And even if that, he's like, probably closer to like a thousand or less. But <laughs> when Naval goes to the DMV, it's $15,000 that right. the economy lost. <laughs> right. Right. So, you know, so yeah. So, but, I, but, but I like the, the concept of like thinking about what is your time worth and how are you then managing the time in relation to, um, especially if if you're coming from a business standpoint, like to your point, it's like, hey, like yeah, but you spent 500 hours. Could that 500 hours been creating a different cash flow generating asset that could have helped compound, you know, what you wanted to do with the account over here, and therefore one is feeding the other versus like, you know, all that just to get an extra thousand at two dollars an hour. Yeah, <laughs> Goof, it just doesn't brutal. make sense sometimes, and people don't think about that. They're not they're not really analyzing their time, right? And I think that's mm. that's why I think the most important thing. One of my, one of the big points was like time's your most important asset. It's not even close, and that's why I even wrote the book to like optimize the use of your time. I mean, the first even before you read the intro, it says how to use this book and i say like hey if you want to skip a chapter it's not helping you jump somewhere else like find the areas of the book that are valuable to you and then move on i, don't, I mean of course you can read it in order it's written to be read to be read in order but i also said like hey if you don't need help saving money don't read that chapter skip ahead to the investing stuff right like find what's useful to you and then move on because your time's like your most important asset it's not even close right so i think realizing that and that's that's how i show it i don't just say hey time's your most important asset i show it i say hey don't waste your time like reading on stuff that's not going to help you it might be entertaining and if you want entertainment that's fine but if you're really trying to like you know maximize the use of your time you got to find what the, the nuggets of wisdom in the book and then kind of move on and figure out what you're going to do next yeah i think so. most people want to be entertained <laughs> yeah. that's probably well, the so then read every page whatever yeah <laughs> you know i think that's kind of why we're in the mess that we're in a mess uh, uh at the macro level but <laughs> that's a conversation for another time um what else uh within the book that you know you you'd like to share um that you know is was maybe fun for you or, or maybe um you know, um, something that wasn't a part of originally of the blog, but you're like, this has to be in there. Um, there, so I, I did talk about buy versus rent. I don't want to go That's into it. It's very nuanced. It's right. a very nuanced conversation. <laughs> you, that was one of the big ones. Uh, there's one idea I expanded on a bit. I did write on it on the blog a little bit, but it's like, I, I basically argue near the end. It's like, why well, you'll never feel rich. And this whole idea is like, basically as you kind of get into different social circles over time and as you start let's say you start leveling up and you're doing better and this you're going to just keep meeting more people who are more successful like it'll never unless you're the richest person on the planet it will technically never end right it's like and even once you're close like maybe you know your wealth drops and then the other person's richer than you and then you know this guy or girl's richer than you and it's like what so you never get out of that cycle and so there's no way to ever really like i don't think people ever feel really feel rich unless you like really kind of have to like get into your psychology and say you know what i am rich like most people say 
Some people are clearly like the top 20% or top 10% of the income earners are like, oh, I'm middle class. Like you ask people in America, this is what those like, oh, I'm middle class. Like, it's like, no one feels rich. Like, oh, I don't have a yacht. I can't go and, you know, do all this stuff. It's like, oh, that's, you don't need to have a yacht to technically be rich. Right. You know, so it's like, it's getting into all these types of things. And I think the basic idea is to like, remember where you came from, like, think about where, where you are relative to where you could be right. given your circumstances, your background. And that's what matters more. Right. Cause like, you know, the example I give in the book is, you know, Lloyd, Lloyd Blankfein, who was the uh, ex-CEO of Goldman Sachs. He's interviewed once. And in the interview, he said, I'm not rich. I'm just well-to-do. He's a billionaire. This guy's a billionaire, a billionaire saying he's not rich. Like think about how crazy that sounds. And you would say, okay, that's, you know, if I said, you know, you're rich, he's like, well, I'm not. And you know why? Because he, he hangs out with David Geffen and Jeff Bezos. These are people that have, you know, 1000 X his wealth, right? So he doesn't feel rich relative to them. And I say, he's, when you're the poorest guy in the room, you don't feel as rich. And I get that. I get that feeling, you know, from him. I understand that. You're saying, well, that's a little bit outrageous. But I said, you know, I, the example I use in the book, I say, okay, if, or the, this data, if you have a hundred thousand dollars in net worth, you're in the top 10% of, of the world globally. $100,000 US is ten the top 10% globally. I would consider that rich. And now I already know you're, you're kind of arguing through it. Well, Nick, you can't compare me to these random people all over the world. That's not fair, right? That's not fair to me. Well, I'm going to argue that Lloyd Blankfein, the ex-CEO Goldman Sachs, doesn't think it's fair to compare himself with you and I. He's going to say, you can't compare me to them. Those are normal people. I'm, I'm in a very different social circle. So everyone can make that argument. Obviously, his argument is more objectively like ridiculous, but like it's the same argument. We're just cutting hairs. Like, where What's rich really? Is it like on the national level? Is it globally? Is it local? Is it like your zip code? I mean, are you the richest person in your zip code? Is that how you feel rich? It's like ridiculous because you can just move to another zip code and then you'll be poor again or relatively poor, right? So- I think it's one of those things where you have to just like say, Hey, like I feel rich and I am rich. And you have to define yourself in that way. Even if you're not like, for example, I'm not even a millionaire, but I would define myself as a rich person of the world. Right. I would say I'm rich. And I don't say that to brag or anything. I just like, you have to keep that. Otherwise you'll keep chasing forever. And if you oh, don't yeah. like, you know, you just, yeah, you'll chase forever. And that's the issue. The, the chase will leave the results very fleeting, very mm -hmm. fast. And, and you're right. You know, and I, what I love is the point of like, yeah, but where have you come from and how far have you built? And even if it, even for some people, it's it's still in the you know some like the from the lower uh, what do I want to say lower five figures to the mid five figures to the high five figures where you get in the six figures like yeah but like it's still more than where you came from like brick by brick and like I think if, and but uh, and if they're not careful and I have found in the past too it's like you get to new goals and you're like oh this is amazing um, but it's fleeting if you're not already grounded and feeling grateful and feeling like you know what cool just another brick in the process of the kingdom that i'm building of my life and you know grateful to have you know how am i how am i managing how did i get here and how am i managing moving forward and just really like understanding that brick that has now been laid and like okay cool i made it to this brick before i move on to the rest of the foundation anything i need to change with the brick <laughs> need, like you know basically really having more much more fun with the process versus uh and honoring it um, otherwise, oh, wow, like, yeah, that chasing can become very fleeting. And then also you're starting to miss the purpose of like living, you know, and, and having a life in, in the process, you know, and again, like anybody listen, I'm not saying like, don't have great goals, just that, you know, also pay attention to who you are in becoming while <laughs> you know, going after those goals and like, how are you constructing and designing and architecting your life versus simply just being like, you know, missing everything, showing up to the goal, get it like, okay, what's next? What's next? You know? Um, mm -hmm. and I was actually just hearing Jordan Peterson talk a little bit about that on, um, 
Stephen Bartlett's uh, Diary of a CEO uh, right before this, actually on the way here. And it was interesting. He was talking about, he's like, because we're, he's like, we're not really fundamentally designed to stop. He's like, but if you're only doing it for like a certain thing, he's like, what do you think? You're just going to get like rich and then you're going to you know, have your, your t- you know, your Mai Tais and Tahiti. And like, he's like, that's not, he's like a week at best, a week at best, but then you'll, it'll be fleeting. You'll, you'll need something, you know? And he's like, because fundamentally as humans, we, we need the ability to, to build, you know? You know? do things, yeah. yeah. Whatever that is. What, and whatever whether that that's is. like, you're doing something in your community, you're building, yeah. you know, you're writing online in my case, whatever it is, it can right. be, every person's different. It doesn't have to be a product. It doesn't have to be even money-making. It could just be like, you're a leader in your community. You're maybe you do something yeah. at a church group, whatever it is, you're just, you're adding value somewhere. And I think that's how a lot of people get, you know, status. And, yeah good feelings and stuff like that. So what do you, what do you have coming up? Anything you're excited about? Oh, in terms of like my life or what? Oh like, yeah. 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 Like projects or yeah, I don't, no, I'm sorry. Pro- there's like a lot of, I don't know where, if you're trying to get personal, you're trying to talk about like, business straight up. I'm just asking, so. <laughs> no. So like, uh, believe it or not, we're actually, we're over an hour, but I, I love, I love that. Like these, the shows always go for a while. Um, no, mm-hmm. like, yeah. Uh, life, uh, business, like things that you're excited about projects that are coming up, or maybe it's just something that, you know, you're involved in right now that, you know, is just kind of lighting you up. Like anything in particular you want to, you know, share with the audience. Uh, no business stuff, still doing same old, same old. Yep. Like I still want to keep blogging still. I'm, I just started a referral program. So trying to kind of get that off with my e- email newsletter. So that's been fun. Um, personal life, um, doing a little bit of traveling this summer and my sister and I, uh, we're both Italian. Like I'm like half Italian. So we're both going to Italy together. So nice. we're going to, that's going to be kind of a fun little trip. So I'm just excited for that. You know, never been to Italy. I'm Italian. My last name is Majuli. Like, come on. Like, you know, we've been talking about it for years. We're finally doing it. So hopefully, you know, thankfully there's no COVID, another COVID scare or something will be out there. So yeah, that's about it though. But everything else is, is going well. So, you know, I mean, I love in New York city summertime. So summer's just starting. So it's starting to get hot, but uh, I'm enjoying it. Yeah. I, uh, I love uh, some of the city. So uh, I, I originally, my family's from the Bronx and oh, cool. I live in Jersey. And then uh, I worked for Moet Hennessy there on ninth and 10th uh, mm-hmm. for Krug champagne for, for a little bit of time. And uh, uh, you know, summer in the city is, is, is a blast, man. Um, Amazing. And then uh, all like, where can everybody find you online? Whether, you know, Instagram, Twitter, the the blog, like all of it. And then I'm, of course, I'm going to put it all into the uh, show notes as well, too. Yeah, of course. So my Instagram is at Nick Majuli, M-A-G-G-I-U-L-L-I for my last name. My Twitter handle is at dollars and data. Uh, feel free to DM me there. I try to answer every DM, whether on Instagram or Twitter. My blog is of dollarsanddata.com. And then you can find my book, Just Keep Buying on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and other retailers. So Amazing. Yeah. I want, I want my, my copy signed. <laughs> of course. Yeah, of course. Whenever we can meet up, be happy to. So, or if you're ever in the city, let me know. I will literally find a way to meet you and sign the copy and chat. There it so. is. There it is, man. Uh, listen, I really appreciate you coming on the, the show. And I, and I said this to extend this to all the guests. It's a journey driven podcast. So like lock and change. I used to say lock and change in a year and now a lot is changing within like a week. Yeah. <laughs> but, but if you want to come back on like a month, two, three, you know, you, there's some other, uh, some other topics you want to tackle, please. You're, you're welcome to come back on anytime and, uh, and share more of the, the journey with all of us. I appreciate that. Thank you. Thanks, yeah, man. absolutely. For everybody listening, Nick Majuli, you can check him out. Um, Nick Majuli on Instagram of, uh, dollars and data on start yep. uh, on, um, on Twitter, Twitter. of dollars and data.com uh just keep buying on amazon or barnes and noble uh i mean google them you'll find them <laughs> you know and also if you need to as well like you just go to my uh go to who i follow uh on insta you reach out to him he's he's you know very approachable as i always say to all of you guys like be you know uh kind to these individuals time <laughs> because I, I nick does actually get back very quickly because i had asked him as well about the podcast 
um you know see that's how the internet works people yeah. uh all the time i appreciate it and also if you follow me on instagram though there are scammers there's only one at nick majuli you might find 10 other ones there's only one i'm not verified yet <laughs> maybe one day but watch out for the scammers because they will they'll look their names will look similar to mine they'll be spelled differently they'll they'll slide into your dms trust me i will not slide into your dms they'll slide into your dms and say hey how are you and then at, talk about crypto and right. trading and all this stuff that won't be me so that's all i'm going to say like if you approach me and we start chatting and it seems very natural and I don't talk to you about crypto or anything, then we're great. It's because <laughs> so I started it's because I started interacting with all you guys. You, Robert <laughs> Breedlove. Um I, I think he's coming on the podcast soon. <laughs> Cause I, I have the same like Scammers. I get I get the uh I'm getting there's about two or three a week. Like and I'm I'm so I'm saving them all. Uh, and then by the way, just mm-hmm. to you know, for anybody listening that's dealing with this and for you, um, instead of reporting on Instagram, you can actually go help.instagram.com and actually go for um impersonation that's where you can actually get more them taken down instantly is going um is reporting as an impersonation uh mm-hmm. help.instagram.com if anybody's dealing with that but like yeah like crypto wendy <laughs> she deals yeah. like it i was like wendy i'm like i'm getting like you know like a new one of them from you every single like week man <laughs> you know so i know how you feel uh there's only one nick majula there's only one matt goddessman there's no two n's in goddessman <laughs> there's no three t's in goddessman <laughs> so i know how you feel man um, amazing. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Truly uh, kick back just for a second here. Um, for everybody listening, uh, again, you know where to, to find all of us, uh, you know, for our guest, Nick Majuli, for myself, Matt Gossman, for the hustle sold separately. We are out. Mm-hmm.